0: This episode is powered by Safety FM. In this week's episode, I speak with Cassandra Dillon. She is an instructor with the Certified Occupational Safety Specialist Program, which I am one as well. So we are two of a kind in that way. Uh, Cassandra is also a person who is a consultant as well. She's a principal consultant for. Uh, The last past uh, five years, she's been an adjunct instructor and is currently an adjunct instructor for uh, a couple of organizations and she has worked with National Safety Council, University of Texas Arlington, and truly she has been one of those people that has such an amazing, amazing amount of time that she gives and devotes to helping people and their causes. She is... A student of uh, Scott Geller and truly she is one of those safety minds that thinks of compliance culture and then also the person themselves behind the safety just so that it is a holistic view and that's probably because she's a minister as well so she has uh, quite a bit of a diverse background we talk a little bit about everything how she got into the business we talked a little bit about uh just her safety journey uh, a little bit about her own story about uh, not getting paid like she should as far as gender equality equality for payment so we talked about that we had a really good strong conversation regarding uh what it is like to look at safety as a whole holistically So if you have a person who believes that they are being picked on due to gender, due to race, due to uh, whatever gender they want to identify as, then truly that could lead to bullying. And in some cases, and she has um, helped one of her, her missions out there, is she does talk to individual women who have been sexually assaulted as safety professionals and helping them get past those events and just, you know, uh, picking up the pieces. So we have tough talk about a a few things, including uh, equality with race and seeing how all that ties into safety and health. So if you're a consultant and you're going to be consulting organizations, you go in there, you have to really look at what the organization's doing. You have to give a nice a concise overview of the organization in a form of a summary. It's really good if you understand all the different leading factors that's going to help you lead a client to this is my recommendation for you for building your culture or something similar to that. So we just go through a whole bunch of uh, thought processes uh, related to that. It's a longer interview, so I'm not going to do a tip of the week after this one. So, it's just going to be me and Cassandra. And then, after you're going to hear the music, it's going to let you guys out, let you know I'm done. So, go get it. Hello,
1: hello. I am Cassandra Dillon, better known as Dillon on the Real. Uh, I am an industrial safety engineer. I am an instructor uh, in a lot of different uh, areas. I'm also a college professor, I'm a transformational life coach, I'm a minister. You know, there's so many different things that I do. There isn't one title that that really kind of captivates who I am. Um, But I will say that I'm all things safe. So, you know, I'm just going to tell you up front, I will either save your physical life or I will save your soul. And a lot of times I'm saving your life and your soul at the same time. Hallelujah.
2: (laughs) A a twofer.
1: A twofer one. That's who I am. But people safe. Ultimately,
0: I keep people safe. All right. Uh, What started your safety journey? Because your safety journey is not like everyone else's. You've got some influencers in your life that all of us would hope (laughs) we had these influencers (laughs) in our life, but this doesn't happen. So tell us about your safety journey.
1: You know, for me, my safety journey, it was very deliberate. Um, I was in college and I remember... Uh, industrial engineering. I started off as an electrical engineering major. That was too boring because I'm like, I want to see people. I want to be alive. I want to see what they're doing. Yeah. And they're like, you got personality. You should probably check the IE program or something. So I was like, okay, okay. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do industrial engineering. And so I went over to industrial engineering and loved it. Okay, because most engineers are kind of boring and plain and whatever. I was like, y'all. Yo. You know, I so saw I'm always and it's funny because I'm an introvert and so I come. <laughs> i into the room, and I'm like, hey, I'm here. And they're like, well, I thought you were an introvert. I am. I am, because I'm an introvert, because I give my energy from spending time alone.
2: Mm. But I'm
1: an introvert with extroverted features, right? And really? so, yeah, so my personality was really good in the industrial engineering program. And so uh, my, my professor, Dr. Agazagi, he was my safety instructor. And he did safety. And I think the second class, I was like, yes, this is it. And I did. Now, you granted, you know, I'm, I'm at LSU. I'm the only woman in the class. I'm the only African-American in the class. And I'm screaming, yes, this is it. Okay. So people were kind of like, what, what happened? Right. Like, what you talking about? So then I told my professor, I was like, I've got to do safety. I'm doing safety for the rest of my life, you know. You know, it's like this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do this the day I die, I don't wanna do anything else for safety, right? Oh yeah, and so I knew. So I was like, I don't know, uh twenty, twenty one? And and Yep, yep, so I was twenty, twenty one. And at that time I had already interned with Exxon and Shell and uh IBM. And at so when
0: I industrial in the industrial um electrical side or in the safety and health side
1: um more so process like process uh process and safety kind of sort of kind of like mixed together okay. um uh, because you know coming from new orleans you know i'm just an oil field brat you know because i you know with all the refineries everybody everybody had an aunt an uncle, or them or somebody that worked at a plant so yep. i was like I work at a plant but i was like i don't want to work at a plant because At an early age, I knew the plant was probably not where I necessarily wanted to be all the time because I was that person, you know, even as a youngster, and I didn't even understand toxicology and industrial hygiene and all that stuff. I just knew that the air sometimes, it just didn't make me feel good. And I was just like, I'm going to figure out what that is, but I don't think I want to be in a plant every day, right? And so, you know, by the time I got to to that senior, junior, senior year of college, I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to do safety. And then so I was like, I looked around. And so my first actual safety job was a junior safety engineer at NASA in Stennis, Mississippi.
0: (laughs) Is that the one on the border?
2: Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Louisiana, uh, Mississippi border.
1: Yep. And so what I did was I took my classes. I scheduled my classes where I could either, depending on the semester, I would go to Stennis. I would go to NASA in the morning and then come back and take my classes in the afternoon. Or I would take my classes in the morning, and then I would go to send us in an the afternoon. And so huh. I would like drive to work, go to the you know NASA, get back in my car, and drive back to Baton Rouge.
0: Was <laughs> it two hours?
1: Yep, it was. But I was like, "Go oh, to school." But but you have to understand, my dad, um, his profession, he he you know he was a mechanic, and he worked for UPS. And so I get a lot of my personalities from him. And when I was um, a teenager. Um, my dad actually started a trucking company. So I tell people now I have I have cousins, Dylan trucking. If you look y'all, if y'all see Dylan trucking on the road, yes. it's my it's my people. And so I was always used to driving. You know, like when I was nineteen, I would say, I'm gonna go to Atlanta and I would get in my little Toyota Corolla <laughs> in, in Rouge to Atlanta. I would drive straight and I stopped and I was like, Oh, I'm in Atlanta And I'm like, How'd you get here? I drove.
2: Wow!
1: (laughs) So for me, that NASA thing wasn't a hard thing, but I was grateful that I did that because when I got out of school, I went looking for a safety job. I was like, I'm ready. I got experience because by the time I graduated from uh, college, I already had like two and a half, three years of experience as an engineer, as a safety person, all that stuff lumped up together. But I couldn't find a job. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't understand. It, but I found a job as an industrial engineer. I couldn't find a safety job, but I found an IE job. And so I was like, you know what? The the engineers and the safety people, they work together anyway, so I'll just get in a company and I'll go in as an engineer and then I'll cross I'll tiptoe over to the safety people. So that was the uh, hmm. And that's and that's kind of really how it started. So then, you know, did as the plan an engineer, work? It did. Yeah. Well, yes and no it did. <laughs> so 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 let me tell you this. So I started off, you know, I was working for the trucking company because I love trucking, right? And my dad, you know, he worked for UPS, so I wanted to work for UPS, but my dad was still working at that time. And you know, you know, UPS has that policy where you can't have relatives working together. Yeah. And in fact, in fact, he had gotten to the point where none of none of his kinfolk could work for UPS until he had been retired for like five or ten years or something like that. Wow. And, and so my my brother Jason, he ended up, you know, hooking up on that because he just celebrated his 15th year at UBS this year. I was like so mad at him because that was supposed to be me. That was supposed to be me, y'all. So I started working for FedEx. You know, so I worked for the trucking company and then and, and and see. And I tell people, and this is why, especially for a safety person, you need to have multiple streams of income. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because let me tell you, I got out of college. I think between the Time I graduated from college and maybe my first three years, five years, I had been laid off twice. (laughs) I mean, like laid off. Like I'm like thirty yet, and I'm being laid off from a job. Wow. And I'm like, you know what? I need multiple streams of income. And so I really start saying, okay, so you know, so and so people have already always called me the Jamaican woman. But Mm -hmm. in my after I got laid off that second time, I said, oh, this is never happening to me again. I will never depend on one employer for, for just everything that I need, right? And so that one thing is the thing that gave me the ability uh, to start teaching, to start consulting, to start doing all these other different things is because I didn't want to be holding to just one person, right? And so when I went to FedEx, I went to FedEx saying, look, I need to work on my master's degree because I figured out really quick when I finished college, one okay, so so I, I don't want to really say how old I am, but I'm just gonna say this. <laughs> when when I got out of college, people didn't drive SUVs. Women didn't drive SUVs. Okay, and so for me, I had on my dorm, my apartment, I had a Ford Explorer, Eddie Bauer edition. Oh no! Yes. Oh, my Eddie Bauer was my dream. I said, girl, when you graduate, you're going to get you Eddie Bauer or Explorer. And I thought I was doing the darn thing, okay? That's right. So that was my real first real car out of college. And I got such slack because, one, women didn't drive SUVs. And then, two, who did I think I was to go drive an SUV? Because back then, an SUV means you were kind of sedity. You were kind of like high dollar. You were kind of like rolling. You know, you were rolling, you know, at Time, that Explorer was probably equivalent to like one of those Duallys, 250s, double, whatever, you know, like the King Ranch. and the, they didn't have... They had the Ford Explorer, Eddie Bauer. And yeah. people, who do you think you are? I was like, wait a minute, you have a truck, you know, your truck is about what my Ford Explorer costs. And that was a whole nother conversation. But, you know, it was real interesting how I was like, this is something I want to, you know, reward myself with. But I figured out really quick that the equity for a man and the equity for a woman just wasn't there, and I was like, "This In is much not sense." Okay, so and and you know, hopefully,
0: there's no HR people. That's right. I'm I'm, uh, I'm kicking HR out right now. HR, you gotta just go ahead and shut down your computer <laughs> right now. Turn off <laughs> <Yeah>. your phone. But <laughs> look,
1: look, if you're an HR person, I apologize. <laughs> But I really I would have HR people come to me and you know I, I learned really quick that I had to advocate for how much I needed to get paid. Yeah. Because people were not just saying we're gonna pay you fairly. You know, when people talk about women get paid, you know, seven cents on the seventy three cents on the dollar, they do. That's for real. People are not making that up. I mean, it's for real. Mm-hmm. And I remember being told by HR people and by people in my early career. Well, Cassandra, we can't pay you what we pay the men because you're you're not married and you don't have any kids, and it just wouldn't be fair for you to get all that money. And they have kids to take care of, and they're and they have private school to take care of, and they gotta buy cars, and they gotta do retirement, and it's just you. You know, you should just be happy with what you're making. And I was like, the devil is a lie. Oh uh, no!
2: <laughs> yes
1: not today if i'm doing the work that the men doing i'm getting paid the money that the men are getting so i was breaking down glass ceilings in my 20s okay mm-hmm. and so I figured for me to really get paid and for them not to deny me what i needed to get paid i needed to get a master's degree and so at that time you know you didn't even you didn't, you didn't even need a bachelor's degree to be a safety person so you yeah. definitely did a master's program right and so, at that time, I was a corporate industrial engineer for Continental Airlines, and I told my manager that I want to, um, you know, get a masters. And they're like, "Well, you don't need a master's." I said, "Well, I don't. Well, I may not need it for you today, but I'm gonna need it when I get old. <laughs> I'm gonna need it when I." Get old. And so, uh, I believe that if you fail the plan, you plan to fail. So I was like, I'm need it for the future. I'm young, I'm vibrant, I got energy. I need to go work on some degrees before I get tired. And he's like, you don't need it. And so I ended up going to uh, an, an NSBE meeting, a National Society of Black Engineers uh, conference. And that oh. conference, I was actually working for the company to help recruit people to get into the company. And I remember I went by the FedEx piece and they had this really cute purple Koozie, and it was like kind that you could put a pop, a soul, soul drink, cold drink, wherever you're from, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah.
0: Not New York, we don't call it pop.
1: <laughs> but see, I went to LSU, so anything that's purple, anything that's bold, my eyes, I, I get like umbrellas in my eyes. I'm like,
2: ooh. <laughs> I <can't>
1: have it, <laughs> I've got to have it, right? And so, the thing about it is, they said, we'll give it to you.
2: If you give us a resume,
1: I'm like, I didn't come here for no resume. I had one resume. I brought one resume and I went back to my hotel room and I got that one resume. I said, here, can I have the cup cozy now? Do you know what that conference was like on a Thursday? By Tuesday, I had offer. I had four different offers within FedEx. They uh-huh. said, they said, wherever you want to go, whatever you do, Will support it. Do you want to work in ground? Do you want to work in air? You know, do you want to work in a hub? Like, like, and I was like, I don't know, I never done that before. And they said, Well, what is it that you would like to do? I said, Okay, so this is what I want to do. I said, I want to work so that I can go to school and work on my master's. Uh-huh. And school that I, and I, and I and I looked at the and I looked at the United States at this time for the master's program. There were only seven. Um, colleges in the United States that offered masters in safety. And so I looked in there, I was like, I ain't going to Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) I'm lucky. (laughs) So the only place that I really saw that I could go because I had some family there was Minnesota. Now I knew Minnesota was a bad idea because coming from New Orleans, I mean, if it's more than 65 degrees, I'm freezing. I'm like, oh, I'm so cold. So me to go somewhere where there was 20, 30 degrees below was like insane. Oh, yeah. But I, but I, but I said, you know what? If you want me that bad, I want a job in Minnesota, and I want to work on my master's program. And if you say yes to that, then I'll come to to Iceland, aka <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> and I said, okay, fine. When do you want to start? I was like, Dang.
2: <laughs> excellent.
1: Dang! <laughs> and so that's how I got started in safety because I started the master's program. And the FedEx paid for it. And so FedEx, you know, they were really supposed to, I was supposed to graduate. And then once I graduate, they were supposed to move me into the safety program. And do you know, I graduated and I went to the VP and I said, okay, I'm ready for my safety job. And they said, oh no, Um, engineers, you make way more than safety people. So the HR person was like, you can't move because you won't be satisfied. I was like, are you kidding? I have been working on this freaking degree for the last three years. I have, I mean, you know, and, and last week I taught a class and I told them that you have to really know what it is that you want and work for it because, I mean, and this is a true story because anybody who knows me from back then, they will tell you that this is a true story. Mm-hmm. I started working for FedEx in July. I started working on my master's program in August. Okay. Okay. Oh. In Minnesota, I had min- I lived in I lived in min- I lived right not too far from um you know downtown like Minneapolis. I li- actually, actually, I lived a mile from the Mall of America. That was where okay. I lived. Yeah, And so I lived there, and I had like eight states. I had like Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, uh, um, uh, and then all the Dakotas: South, North, South okay. Dakota. Yeah, so I had, like, 50, like, stations that I was over, and I am just, like, probably at that time, maybe mid-20s, 30s, <laughs> like, I'm not over, right? Like, I'm over those places, Illinois, cool. and so I had to travel, uh, at that time, we had a special FedEx project, because, like, like, you know how they have, like, the first overnight in, in FedEx same day? Um, I I was one of the engineers that tested it out back in the day before it came out. Huh. And, and I'll see little things you don't know. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And so and so when we did the time studies and stuff, we did a special project in Chicago. And so I had to be in Chicago for six months. And I said, you know what, if I got to be in Chicago, I need an apartment. And then I need this man. I end up getting an apartment. I did a cost benefit analysis as like a 20 something year old. I did a cost benefit analysis and how it would be cheaper for them to give me an apartment than for me to, to do the T&E back and forth. I ended up with an apartment downtown at the water tower okay, with, 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 a, with a butler at the bottom and then a, a limo driver picking me up from the airport back and forth so I can go to work.
0: Awesome. That is one <laughs> heck of a cost analysis.
1: Yes, but it still was cheaper. It was still cheaper because what I would do is I would go to work. And then I would drive from, from Minneapolis. Uh, I'm a graduate of U- University of Wisconsin Stout, Menominee. Woo! UW Stout.
0: Is that like a corn husk or corn something? Wait, what is that? What? Something like that. But okay, but this is the thing.
1: I I literally drove from Minneapolis to Menominee. That was probably like in miles, it probably should only took about an hour out and fifteen, but it was snowing. So it took me three hours. It took me three hours to, to, to work. To drive to Wisconsin, go to class for three hours, mm-hmm. class, drive three hours back to, back to Minnesota, drive into the airport, get on a FedEx plane, ride yeah. the, plane with the pilots, get on with the pilots, fly into Chicago, have somebody pick me up at the airport, bring me to my apartment, and then I showed up at work at eight thirty.
2: Oh, wow!
1: I did this for three years.
0: <laughs> three years, you're doing it.
1: Yes. So when the people tell me safety is too hard and I don't have time and I can't do it. I'm like, you don't want to do it because understand things that you want, you will make the time to. Do. And it was painful. And was I tired? I was. But I knew that I wanted to do safety and I knew that the day would come that it would be mandatory to have a mask. See, a lot of people now are stressed out because they're trying to go back to school and they're getting their ASPs and their CSPs and all that type of stuff. I was like, look, by the time that comes, I'm going to be tired anyway. I'm, let me just do a lot of that right now so I don't have to do that later on. And so, you know, I'm telling young safety professionals why you have jobs that are paying for tuition reimbursement, they are doing all that stuff, do that stuff now. Because one of the most underutilized benefit is tuition reimbursement. Yeah. And so, and usually for safety professionals, you can get reimbursement from your HR because you just have it for your benefits of your job. But you can get it from your job, your manager, because you need it for your safety certificates and certifications and stuff. So if you want to, you can double dip. So for every company I have worked for, I mm-hmm. double dip. I double dip from the safety side. I need it for my job. But I double dip from, from HR because I, I had degree. to create Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You have 12 different things behind your name. I said, I sure do. I yeah. sure do.
0: And you got the, um. Uh, well, you didn't do the CSP route, it doesn't look like, but you did the 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 environmental resource route because that's really what your, your background was, right?
1: It was, it was. And for me, environmental was really easy because since I'm an engineer, I always got stuck doing all the air permits and all the waste and all the other type of stuff. So for years, I taught environmental classes as well as the safety classes as far as the air quality classes and, you know, Five and federal permits and stuff like that, and and what I found is that um, that really helped me get to where I am now because I am really into kind of like restorative justice and and making sure that people understand what's around them. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot with community emergency response, um, LEPc chair for the county, you know that type of stuff because I find that people live in communities and they don't even know what the hazards are at their house, right? And and so I have this one class I used to teach, and I would show the picture of a house, and then I would say, you're talking about all the hazards at your job and in the street, but I used to make people scared to go home. <laughs> I mean, I, I said, these are the 12 hazards at your house right now that's going to kill you.
2: Yeah.
1: I hate you. I just hate you. <laughs> I just, I don't like you. So I tell people, if you take one of my classes, be prepared for your 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 energy levels for your awareness to shift because there's yeah. no way you can meet me and come back out on the other side thinking the same way you think <laughs> today.
0: I'm, I'm from the uh, wastewater treatment side and I used to uh, be an incident commander and one of the uh, past things I did is I worked with a, the EPA with a special team and we created what's called the all hazard boot camp for yeah. uh, water and wastewater and this was years and years ago so we all got together and we Help the EPA figure this stuff out, and we uh, created the. Uh, there's even an all-hazard boot camp uh, that you could take online too. So I was part of that, and they interviewed me, and I'm, I'm even in there too. But this is you know back when I didn't shave my head, you know, <laughs> when I was still rocking the hair. But uh, but truly, it was the environmental side. People can work around safety with the EH and S title. And the E is to them as foreign as anything you told them about Circro or Recro or even Superfund sites or unless they're process safety. If they're process safety, then, you know, they, they know that stuff in PSM process safety or risk management plan if you're under EPA. But other than that, you know, they don't, they don't know that stuff.
2: Right.
1: Right. But you know, one of the things I'm very fortunate for is that I took a route. Um, cause when FedEx would not allow me to be a safety person, mm-hmm. I said, okay, I gotta quit. And oh my God, that was like my dream job. I mean, I loved FedEx. I still love FedEx. Okay. I love FedEx, but I wanted to be a safety person and, and literally I quit. And then like 60 days later, the guy calls me and says, okay, I have a job. for you." I'm like, I don't work for you anymore. You don't know that. Like, I was <laughs> I'm like, I'm curious. I want a job in safety. If I don't get a job in safety, I'm going to go somewhere else where I can't just like that. And so mm-hmm. I started getting into the hazardous waste and, and working for the companies that did landfills and things like that. And so, you know, and that was rewarding uh, because uh, it gave me uh, the, the ability to see the environmental piece of it. And then also the companies that I worked for after that. They were kind of like mid-sized companies. And then, you know, when we talk about small business, a small business could technically be anything under a billion dollars, depending on what industry you're in. Mm-hmm. And so work worked for kind of like a small, air quote, business. But when I worked those types of jobs, I got to do environmental. I got to do safety. I got to do quality. I got to do security. Yeah. And so able to do all of that stuff, you know, Department of Homeland Security, you know, stuff on the Sarah list, you know, you know, all of this stuff, you know, the CFATs and he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, look, you you work for a mid- mid-sized company, you know, small, mid-sized, you got to be the jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem with that though was I was having such a good time that I looked around and I was like, I still wasn't getting paid, but the men were getting paid. Yeah. And I remember I, I was at this one job, and I just was like, I was just very tormented because guys, y'all talk too much. Y'all don't need to tell people how much y'all making, okay? <laughs> Cause you know that what you making, everybody else is making because they would be talking and complaining about all this money that they were making, and I would wouldn't say anything. Going, I don't get paid, but they get paid, mm-hmm. and, and like either I advocate for myself or I ask somebody to do it for me. And most times if I did ask for them to do it for me, they said, well, you should just be grateful for what you what you what you're getting. But, you, you know, people don't make this kind of money and you're you're just sounding ungrateful. And I'm like, I'm not ungrateful. I just want to be paid equally. Yeah. We don't work. You know, and I remember I went to my manager and I said, look, um, I love my job. I love it here, but I just need, I need I need my compensation to come up. And I and, and then I said, you know what, I need to make X amount more. And the amount that I asked for wasn't even enough to equal me to what the guys were making.
2: Huh.
1: It wasn't even equal. It was just more. And he was like, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. And I said, okay, fine. I literally, I left that meeting. I had already typed up my resignation letter. I gave him my resignation and I said, okay, I'll be gone in two weeks. Yeah.
2: Well. And he
1: said, what? what do you mean? I said, I don't think you understood. I, I didn't stutter when I said I need more money. I need more money. I, it wasn't a negotiation. It wasn't me begging you. It was me telling you that in order for me to stay, you're gonna have to pay me what I'm worth. And I think for a lot of safety people, we don't know what it is that what, that we're worth, right? And mm-hmm. so he said, "Cassandra, you can't quit. You do the work of four men. You can't quit."
0: Yeah, and I said, you just want to get paid by one. The the the, <laughs> the amount one's getting.
1: I said. Pay me like one man and I'll stay. They said, no, we can't do that. And so I left and they didn't believe that I left. But you know what? When I left, they posted three full time positions for one by one position.
0: Yeah, my uh, my old employer with the state of Florida did the same thing. When I uh, when I left, I found out that they replaced me with four people. Uh, So (laughs) They split one of my tasks up between two managers and then they hired uh, two others uh, to to take it. So I was like, right. See? I told you. Well,
1: but, but when I saw that, that was something that encouraged me that I was confident, right? Because had I looked at what I saw and had I looked at how much I was getting paid and how I was being treated, I could have clearly said, well, you know what? You must not know anything. You know, you must not. But evidently I did.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And now they, uh, or at least then, then they they found out real quick how much.
1: Yeah, they did. They did, because I ended up seeing one of my fellow employees' um, cohort, uh, colleagues, I think in like a Walmart or McDonald's parking lot six or seven months later. And he was like, oh, my God, they, they they miss you every day. He said, we have gotten so many fines since you left, because people didn't really realize the depth of what you were doing. And then when you left, nobody did them. And then some in and they start peeling those onions and they found all the stuff that was undone. But the thing about but see but see and, and I and I just kinda I chuckled because I look see, I was so confident that on my last day, they just let me turn in my computer, leave my desk and and, and like lock myself out the door. Nobody locked nobody locked, nobody walked me out, <laughs> nobody did an exit interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody, and nobody said, what are you working on? They just was like, okay, well, glad to have you work here. And they went home. My last day of employment, my coworkers went home at 4.30 and 5 o'clock. And I stayed tidying up stuff until like 8 o'clock at night on my last day of employment. And no one thought to ask me what I was working on. Wow.
0: Oh, man. Well, fast forward and tell me how you got to, um, to uh, Krista and Scott Geller.
1: Oh, my goodness. You know, I love, okay, so probably see, this is 2020, probably like 2015, I started to say there has to be more about safety. There has to be more than doing checklists and, and just report, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where really Cassandra, the minister, and Cassandra, the safety engineer kind of merged because I said, you know what? I really want to care for my people. I really want to show them that I care. But, you know, being a female safety person, you know, you get the kind of, well, you just, you know, that's just a girly girl thing, or that's just, you know, that's the mother in you. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, I ain't got no kids. So there ain't no mother here. There's no mother in here to come out. Okay. There's no mother in coming out. I just want to care for my people better. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I got on to the actively caring, uh, you know, for people, you know, I just kind of, you know, I just heard it, you know, because like the psychology of safety, I've always been a student of Maslow's Hockey of Needs and those types of things. And in the ministry, you know, one of the things we teach people is that we can't teach and preach to people if we have not met their needs. Right. And so we teach and preach people safety at our jobs unless we've met their needs and we actually show them that they care. And so one of those, my favorite Maya Angelou quotes was, of course, uh, people may forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Right. And so, you know, it was just one of those things is, you know, in the circles that I run in, um, I would see them from time to time. And I just one day I would just I would just went up to them and I was like, look, (laughs) I need. And this is what I need. And who is, this is who I am. And, and we've just been like, they've been just very helpful to me all this time.
0: And, and in Dallas as well? They're what? Uh, they're in Dallas as well.
1: Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Scott Geller, he's actually a professor at Virginia Tech. And fun. Yeah, he's at Virginia Tech. And I think he's been there, ooh, 30, 40 years, something crazy. Um uh, uh, but, you know, if you if you just do Scott Geller and you go to Amazon, I mean, he, I, think, I think at this time he's written over between 32 and 44 books, but he's, like, edited all these chapters and all of those other things. And, you know, he, he does that. Um, now he has, like, actively caring in policing, actively caring in schooling, actively caring, you know, so, like, all of those actively caring. And mm-hmm. then also uh, the bracelets. Uh, because I think, you know, I wish people were just a little kinder to people. You know, um, because this is the only time of year really people are nice It's during the holidays. And then we become mean again, January the 1st. And and so I re- so and the reason why I say that is because in 2015, you know, I usually speak at maybe three or four conferences a year, like professionally. Like like I that, that was like a, a stretch goal for me you will speak, you will, you will publish an article, you will do a present. I mean, that's my, that's what I do for myself. Nobody tells me or makes me do that. And yeah. so 15, I said, you know what? I'm going to talk about caring for people. Right. And so my, one of my first presentations I did about caring for people was about uh, Fulgham, Robert Fulgham. He has that book, uh, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten.
2: Mm, haven't heard of that one.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So what I did was I used the top ten things that we should have learned in kindergarten, and then I transposed it to what that means for safety. <laughs>
2: oh, nice!
1: Yes, like everybody, everybody was like hollering, like, "Oh my goodness, this is so innovative!" You know, because you know, like, like when you walk across the street, hold each other, hold each other's hand, and I said, in safety, we hold each other's hands with coaching and mentoring. You know, like, and I'll, you know, like you do this to the safety committee, right? Uh, you know, don't, don't, don't hit anybody. We hit people when we, you know, treat people punitively because they did blah, 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 blah. blah. And they were like, oh my goodness,
2: we've never heard this
1: before. I said, of course you hadn't heard it before because I just made it up. That's <laughs> <great>. <laughs> oh, and so, you know, I did that presentation and it was and it went over really nice. And then I did another presentation where I talked about just just caring for people. And you know, I was like, I am going to get laughed out of this because I did it at it was at one of the NSC conferences. And I remember I looked out, and there was like three hundred. It was it had to be at least a hundred to two hundred people in the audience. I saw like maybe four women, and it was just all men. Wow. <laughs> and I wanted to cry. <laughs> I. W- I wanted to cry because when I tell people when I do these presentations, I always got these butterflies. I'm scared. They're scared. They don't know. What's, they really don't know what's about to come out of my mouth. Like, what is she about to say? Because get yeah. you know, when I go into the classroom, I get people who want to leave because they said you can't teach me anything because nobody like you is in the field. And I said, watch this. Yeah. I got up there and I did that presentation, and these guys came to me and they said, can you teach me how to care? Uh -uh. really how i started kind of getting linked up to them because i was like let me give people resources where they can actively care for people and they can see that it's research-based it's not fuzzy wuzzy it's not because i'm a woman you know what i'm saying
0: are you ready for safety consulting tv Ready or not, it's on its way. January 2021, you'll have your very own video on-demand service that's going to help you with becoming a safety consultant. This will be available on iPad, iPhone, Apple TV, Android, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Fire TV. And this will give you the information that you need to become a safety consultant and resources such as templates and PowerPoint decks and other things that you could download that will be tangibly good for you to use that day for your clients. Visit safetyconsultant.tv, safetyconsultant.tv for more information.
1: principle that if you treat people well, they will respond to you well. And, and and then, too, you get higher statistics and things and, and earnings earn on, you know, the dollars, return on investment and all that other stuff. So it's just not about, oh, I care for you. But, you know, especially in the pandemic, you know, yeah. you were how much companies really care for people. Because I tell people all the time, if if somebody really cares for you, like really, really, like really, really cares for you, you'll, you'll do things for them that you won't do for nobody else.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you consider yourself... Um I know Scott Geller would be more of the behavior-based safety behavioralist model because that's that's his, you know, his doctorate. Uh, Are you are you on that side of being a behavioralist, or are you more on the side of the human and organization performance? I'm kind of in the middle. Me too.
1: I'm in in the middle because when I did my uh, master's thesis, it was kind of like on behavior-based safety, kind of on that, Mm -hmm. and and the thing about it is it, it was interesting because Um, even now, sometimes people come to me and say, Hey, you know, this company or this client needs behavior-based safety. Do you know anything about it? And I just bust out laughing. I'm like, Oh yeah. But when (laughs) I started on my master's program, they were like, well, you know, this probably is not going to go really far because nobody, nobody's really believing in this behavior-based safety type stuff. Right. And so the human organizational piece of it, I get because I'm an industrial engineer. And so kind of in the beginning, in the middle is where I, where I am, because on the on the behavior side, why do people do what they do? The ministry side, you know, the the why people's why, you know, ask why five different times, mm-hmm. and even for me, root cause analysis, that whole why thing, I do it all the time because because if you if you understand what a person's why is, then you understand what they do, what they do, right? But then on on the engineering side of my brain, I'm like, okay, so what's the process? What's the procedure? How do we do this? How do we mimic it? You know, how do we make it keep going, you know, all of that. So I'm in the middle. And so it depends on the company. It depends on the model. It depends on the people. It depends on the return of investment. You know, you know, it depends on where the focus is as far as which side I teeter on for instruction or consulting or training or whatever.
0: Yeah, I believe that there's a, a point in the person's action that that is one of the things we're seeing but everything that led up to it is, is usually what you end up when you're doing a true accident investigation and you're getting that snapshot of, you know, this person made this decision at this time for this reason. And that is where I think I always end up blending hop and behavioral based safety, uh, you know, together. Cause the person probably shortcutted some system because the system wasn't adequately working for them. And then they got used to short uh, circuiting the system, and then the behavior kicked in, you know? So I'm thinking between the two, there's something in there that could have been mitigated on both sides. And that's the way I think about it.
1: Right. Okay. So let me mess you up even more. Oh. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So one of the certifications I just got over the pandemic is I'm actually now a certified belief therapist. And so what I do is I sit down with somebody and I, and I talk to them, like, who, why are you who you are? Like, what are the systems that have been in place since you were a child? You know, like, what's your family like? You know, job situation, you know, like, like, what is it that you really believe? And not so much just on the spiritual level, because I can get on that, but why do you believe that the sky is blue? Because somebody told you, or because you know it to be so... You know, like, where does that come from? Because a lot of times what people don't realize, especially when within a, like a work group or a company is that they don't, they don't ever talk about where people come from. And then as safety, we surely don't talk about social determinants of health. We don't talk about poverty. We don't talk about health care, We don't talk about access. We don't talk about any of that stuff. We just expect you to come to work, clock in and be ready to be safe. And and I'm like, that's, that, that's not a holistic approach to safety because we just we don't think about them as a person and where they come from, right? And a lot of times I remember, especially in process technology, I would do lab classes and I would have students um, and I was like, go get the Phillips. And they'd be like, Professor Dylan, what's a Phillips?
2: What you mean, what's a Phillips? <laughs> what's a flathead, what's a flathead?
1: I'm like, where's your people? You did, And then I had to think about it. My grandparents had a dairy farm. We had 200 something. We had hundreds of cows. I have 13 aunts and uncles. I have, I have 80 first cousins. Okay. Wow. And so my ideal of things and family and education and all that stuff is different than most people. And And so one of the things I was, I was talking to somebody about, is the fact is you know what you've been experienced to and what you've been privileged to see, right? Because I know I'm privileged. I know that there's things that I've experienced that other people have never experienced. And so if I don't, you know, take the stand to go get to give back and go get them and bring them up, then how would they experience some of those things? Because nobody's gonna say, hey, I think you love this experience. Come on here want doing that right yeah. and so when we don't when we don't bring in all of that type of stuff into the workplace from a safety perspective we miss a lot right and right now what I what I'm seeing and I just saw the EHS advisor uh talked about you know the definition for diversity um in in safety mm-hmm. and on on the NSC side I'm working on working with a special work group Uh, to define diversity and inclusion and bullying and all that type of stuff and what that looks like in a safety context um because i think we just don't talk about that a lot we just expect people to hey you over there go do that and they just do it or they don't do it and then we say okay you didn't do whatever it's your fault you should be terminated yeah
0: right well i actually um uh, i interviewed one of my my friends that i've met through um uh, the wastewater side of my my life, and uh, his name is Ari Copeland, but Ari was born Rachel Copeland, and uh, uh-huh. Ari is an engineer, and he would work for uh, Black and Feach. And during his his transformation of uh, uh, from female to male, uh, he got to see a whole bunch of things. And uh, the organization they noticed him, and they 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 were completely uh aware of what was happening and he you know filled them in and they they were very inclusive to him and just going through the process but then on the other end he's like hold on I've seen uh white privilege I've seen females how they get treated and now he says as a white male he goes Sheldon it is completely different from <laughs> from what I've seen before and he says there is such a difference in that and the way that people are treated as when they're not in this group, if you would. And he says, uh, and, and you'll hear it in the interview, he says, now if I'm coming up, everybody's coming up with me. And I don't care who you are, we all coming up. <laughs> it's so funny that, and uh he talked about something called psychological safety. and yep. uh, And I know that's a phrase that's been going around for a while, but he put it in the context of, for him and his belief system, he said that he leads a group that Black and Speech has particularly that is a diversity group that includes the LBGTQ, all the other letters I can't remember right now, <laughs> but the community. And, uh, he had mentioned that once he did his, um, he did a presentation specifically talking about what each letter of, of the term means. And then someone came up to him afterward and said, "Hey, uh, I have never, ever, ever felt safe at work because of uh, where they were and in, mm-hmm. in their their um their belief system. So truly, and it's more than belief system to them. True, it's you know the person you love. And in this case, uh, they truly felt like now they felt freedom at work, and oh. that." That helped them so now that someone could relate to them at work and he said through this outreach that the, the company purposely wanted to do and they honestly thought let's get as many people into this room to plan out diversity as we can that then they're able to, to really protect their workers psychologically safe then you're getting a better worker because they're feeling really good about uh, where they're working. You're also getting a more uh, a worker that feels like they could share their life with a coworker, worker whatever. So that means they're going to get bonded together. And if they're bonded, then therefore they might be brothers keeper and sisters keeper, Like, a, like the presentation you did with, uh, with Krista, I believe mm-hmm. a few years back in the NSC about brother and sister keepers. So uh, mm-hmm. they're getting that feeling. And, and I, he actually told me about, I would say six months or ago, which was really about three months after the interview that someone reached out to him and said, I heard your interview on the, on the my show and, uh, and just thanked him for that. And, and truly I was thinking, man, that kind of sounds like what you're, you're going to be in this group dealing with on all levels. Cause truly we see it uh, as, you know, people of color. We see it as women. Uh, you, you see it as, as all kinds of ethnic and diverse groups if you're not in the white male category you don't see it as much so how do you guys in in your group how do you we need trusted allies in the white male group how do you get them into that diversity into thinking that
1: well you know I I think um, we all need allies and um, I think you know, I think sometimes people think that they can do it on their own and that they can be all that they can be on their own. But in the season that we're in now, it's really about the collective, like each person bring in whatever they have and then putting it in the pot. Or mm-hmm. as I uh, in New Orleans, we, we build in a gumbo or we build a jambalaya, a jambalaya where everybody brings what you got and we put it in the pot and we stir it up. Because the thing is, in, in where we are right now, everything is so diverse. And if you don't take um, people's viewpoints and you don't take everybody and put it all together, you, ri- you miss the richness of what you can provide to your employees or, you know, your company and whatever. You just you just miss it because when people feel as though they're not being heard or no one sees them. Remember that movie Avatar? Yeah. And at the end, uh, you know, he looked up and says, "I see you." Mm-hmm. As safety professionals, we need to see the people that we support. We need to see the company. We need to know the mission, the values, the goals. We need to see all of that, and we need to say, "Where am I with a banner? Where am I with that flag that I'm waving? Like, like, where's where do I stand? Right? Like, what what do I contribute? And then, you know, stand for it." Um, I know I was just talking to, I was mentioning my, um, my mentee and I told her, I said, I said, you have to understand the days of my life is, um, gone where I will go down to meet people where they are, where I'm at right now. I'm high and people need to come up to where I am because I'm not diminishing my life anymore. Um, yes, I'm smart. I'm fabulous. I'm all these things. I'm very humble, but you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of my intellect. I'm not afraid of the things I can do to help people. Right. I'm not going to pretend like I can't when I know I can't Right. the whole Marianne Williamson, our greatest fear, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that is probably for me, one of the biggest things about getting older as a safety person is understanding that, um, my dad used to say, um, I've forgotten more than you'll ever know. (laughs) And so now I'm at the point that I've forgotten more safety than people will ever know for safety. And so just continuing on in that, you know, Mm -hmm. is just such a blessing. But then being, you know, making sure that you're reaching out to everybody, not just some people, not just, you know, because even today in 2020, I will go into a classroom and people say, oh, I need my money back. You can't teach me anything. Mm. I, in one of the classes I did, this, one, of the, one of the last face-to-face classes I did in February, I actually had a student cry in my class and said, and this is what she said. She says, oh, my God, had I listened to my male counterparts, I would have missed out on the growth that I had for these five days. Wow. It told me, because you were a woman that you would not be able to tell me about safety. She says, you have taught me so much, and I am so ever grateful. I had to go to the bathroom and ball, because mm-hmm. I was like, you know... But I can, I, I can remember being on professional things. You know, I did a, I did a class for like the Army Corps of Engineers in California. Mm-hmm. And, and I walked in there, and they were like, why did they send you? And I'm like, you ain't even ashamed. You ain't embarrassed. You don't whisper off the side. I stayed in the classroom and they said, Why would they send you? Is this the best they could do for us? I was like, I'm screaming and hollering, going, The fact that I am here means you have the best, okay? You have the best because for me to have gotten this far and to accomplish what I've accomplished, I have gone through a whole lot that I can teach you, right? But see, people have to be open-minded to diversity. They have to be open-minded to a different voice. They have to be open-minded to hearing something that they may not be familiar with. Um, I taught a class once, and in the middle of my class, man, I had like 40 people in this class. This guy raises his hands, and he says, I'm so sorry. The things you're talking about, I can't relate to it. They sound kind of negative. I don't believe these things to be true. What? I, I took a sip of water <laughs> and I tightened up my glasses for my
2: ears <sighs> and I said, okay, let me help you with something. The
1: reason why these are not your experiences is because I am an African American female in safety. Okay, when people talk about pioneers and whatever, you know, I'm kind of in that little circle because there's not too many women I know, and I do know a couple that have gone before, but it ain't a lot. Okay, I got more women by I have in front of me. Okay, and so I told, I said, "This is not your experience because you you are a male. Um, Your lenses are different. It doesn't mean that you know my experiences are not good experiences or bad experiences." But they're my experiences, right? They're just my experiences, and so and I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I mean, I mean, I'm happy. I- I'm happy that I'm able to say that I've struggled, that I've gone through these experiences because I've grown, right? I've grown, and I can teach people so much because I've been through so much. But just because these are not your experiences, you can't invalidate my experience, and that's what I said. He was just like, woo. woo. <laughs> People in that class was like, she on fire. She is on fire. And I was like, I and I said, and I say this, and all due respect, okay? My opinions, my visions, my values, they don't invalidate yours. They're mine. They're not yours. We all have our walk in safety, right? Yeah. But just like we have our walks as practitioners, the people we support, our coworkers, our colleagues, you know, you know, and, and I tell people all the time. Some people go through so much just to be able to come to work. Just go to work. I mean, they're taking care of aging parents. They may have a special needs child. Uh, they may be raising a child by themselves. They may be a widow. I mean, they could they could be having heart troubles. Heck, they could have coronavirus. We
2: don't know what's
1: going on with people in our household, Right? And so for you to discredit someone because their opinions or who they are is not in your belief system as to what it should look like, shame on you.
0: Are you the one that's responsible for OSHA compliance at your location? Well, join me every Tuesday and Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the OSHA Compliance Help live stream. You can be part of the live stream by contacting me at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Sheldon Primus. Send a connection request and you can see it there. If you like Facebook... Go to Facebook and type in Safety Consultant U.S. And like that page, whenever there's a new live stream on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you'll be notified that I am gone live. If you're a safety consultant, join the Facebook group, which is facebook.com backslash groups with an S backslash safety consultant. Answer the few questions there, agree with our terms, and then you can watch the live streams there. Every Tuesday and Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I answer your OSHA compliance help questions live. Yeah. And truly, it's one of those, for me, I, I I've kind of see it this way, where there's, um, there's some people that will see diversity on a certain level. Meaning that you'll get diversity in the low, maybe mid level work, working force. But when you get into the management spots and executive director spots, the diversity kind of goes away from there. (laughs) So truly, if they're in that mid or upper uh, level, they don't really see it. And it's, they see a whole bunch of, you know, faces in the lower level that tells them, Oh yeah, we're diverse. And it kind of seems to me that they are, um, they believe that by seeing faces, regardless of what position they're in, uh, that it's diversity. So you might have a boatload of site safety managers that are out there that look diverse, but which one is going to be the executive director out of that group? And chances are it's not going to look diverse. (laughs) And that's just, you know, what I see. I don't know if you see the same thing.
1: Well, and and actually when you said that, I mean, just last year I was at a conference and I was moderating the conference and um, this lady, it was kind of, I think it was kind of like a joint thing and a lady, no, it wasn't even a lady, what am I talking about? A man got up to do his presentation. And one of his slides was he wanted people, you know, you know. How sometimes people say about me, well, this a little bit about me, and then this is my company, and then he said, "This is the leadership of my company." <laughs> Do you know this man pulled up the leadership of my company, and there was twenty white men on the slide, mm. and he didn't stutter, and he didn't think anything was wrong with it. Wow! And I was in the room going, "We got one woman." What they, they not one woman that could have been in the midst of those 20 men, not one woman. Wow, and you know, nobody, look, nobody African American was probably in four different tiers of that organization. And and when he said that for me as a professional, I I didn't mean to, but I just shut down because I was like, What? Wait, wait a minute, you don't see a problem with putting a slide up of nobody. I, I I just, I was, I was befuddled, but then I was thinking, but this right here shows how far we have to go because this year with all of the stuff that's happened and all the injustices and all that other type of stuff, that stuff has bled into the workforce and has bled into safety. Right. Mm -hmm. And so so people are very honest about what diversity, what inclusion, what that looks like, what the definition is, what does that feel like. Um, you know, everybody has a voice, everybody has a seat at the table, right? Yeah. Uh, until people get more vocal about that and what that should look like, and you know, the thing about it is, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to say this is an uncomfortable conversation. It's okay to say this makes me sweat bullets. It's not. It's not what I want to talk about. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, but just the door down. can we just be real and this is why i started off saying my name is dylan on the real <laughs> the podcast i talk about real stuff
0: <laughs> and that's the truth and i um i just recently re well i've always heard a lot of uh, dr king's letter in the birmingham jail he yeah. basically wrote a letter to uh talk to Five ministers, including a rabbi uh, that were all saying, "Why are you in Birmingham during this time period and you guys are bringing this upheaval into our city about segregation and uh, he had a nonviolent conversation that led to him going to jail with uh, several other people and uh, part of the part of his response to those uh, cler, and there were clergymen that were saying, "You know, I can't believe what you're doing over here," and all that. And um, some of his responses to the clergyman was just in it was outrageous—a 20-page letter. So I was reading this thing again uh, this week, and uh, truly, in part of that, uh, he was just saying that some people are so complacent. In the church, at least in this case, that he was saying, is uh, there didn't even, uh, they're not following the practices of God in protecting basic human rights. And then they used the law and order and all that stuff to play against it. And that was one aspect. And then on the other aspect that he was saying is uh, with the diversity, he, he mentioned that. There was leaps and bounds of uh, people of color and even Asian brothers that were getting into political leadership, but we couldn't sit in the same counter to eat as uh, someone else. And that was so riveting to me, you know, with seg- uh, segregation at a time, saying, wow, there is representation for political, but when it came down to, you know, the one-on-one talk with the banter with people... And uh, then that became such a, a, you know, that's the taboo. Yeah, so now in our, we, we spin it forward in 2020 with the upheaval, we're still dealing with a lot of things that Dr. King was saying in this without segregation, but it's, I should say formally, but just the, the structure itself and people now we're trying to deal with diversity that's a form of segregation. And, uh, truly it's, it's, uh, it's turned in such a way that, uh, that it's being sanctioned in small, small indignities, indignities. And I remember when I was a, a manager and I was in a manager level and people who were other managers in my level who were white were given vehicles to take home and company, uh, cars, uh, cards for gas and everything else. And, mm-hmm. I never got it. And then when I asked about it, oh, you don't need that. It actually costs more because they have to pay for their own insurance. And they didn't, but that was what I was told. Uh, and uh, that's the kind of things that lead to people checking out when they go to work. And when they check out, then that means your risk goes up. And then if your risk goes up, that means you're going to end up having yourself an injury and illness. If this person, or sabotage, it may just go straight down to sabotage if this, these things aren't addressed in a timely, thoughtful manner and it's being done in an in organized way with the organization where all of a sudden you don't create things. Like, um, like for instance, I'm sorry for my little rant here. You, <laughs> this,
1: is de- this is definitely where we are as a country.
0: We are just, we vocalize it and we just put it on the table. I think we'll just be better for it. If businesses, and I'm glad that uh, NSC is, is to have a group, and my, my friend Ari and Black and Beach they actually got a think tank and a group to work on this. But if mm-hmm. they don't include the right people in these, then you're going to end up getting dogma that's going to effectively hurt people even more. Right, right,
1: right, right. And the thing about it, being honest about it and, and i think that is probably the hardest part about it's okay to be uncomfortable um because we're talking about years and years of oppression we're talking about years and years of just people not having a seat at the table right
2: um mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know because I'm, I'm from the shirley chisholm era where they said you know I, what sometimes got to bring that folding chair to the table you gotta you gotta put your own seat at the table
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely and she ran for president too didn't she
1: you're dead.
0: That's my sorority. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the quotes from uh, Dr. King in that letter was like, he says, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay with uncomfortableness. Yeah. He, he mentioned that to the other clergy. He says, you guys want to be comfortable, but I'm okay with, uh, with discomfort, you know, just so that you get the message across. And uh, so I, I, I know for all the audience members, we know this is, a tough, tough conversation to listen to and hear. But truly, if you have been following my personal path, you know truly you would see that this is important to me and all the things that I got with Safety FM and doing a lot of the roundtable talks with them. But it is personal to me only because if I'm a businessman representing myself and I'm trying to get my name out there, when people see me, are they going to say, hmm, maybe we shouldn't trust this guy because of the color of his skin, or maybe, well, what can he do for me? And uh so therefore, this is a barrier, so it could be your gender, it could be your skin color, it could be anything. And yes, there is cases of reverse discrimination. However, it's really few and far between, in my opinion. Maybe I might have to look that up even more, so I'm not talking about ignorance, but I, I do see the number of actual racism and sexism that could affect a business person. So if you're like, you're doing your own coach's business and you're doing your consultant business, how's it affecting you as you go into blind meetings with people and they're like, Oh, <laughs> do we get the right consultant? Well,
1: you know, and, and the other thing too is, is, is why we we're on this conversation is what makes my walk a little bit more difficult is that in my ministry coaching aspect, My specialization is sexual assault, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, right? And so that, you know, I'm trauma-informed, trained, and all this other type of stuff. So when I get into safety, like I said, I keep people safe. Um, I keep women and, you know, men. They they get violated as well Um, from these acts of violence. But the thing about it is we never talk about the sexual assault. We never talk about the domestic violence that now becomes workplace violence. We yeah. t- we we kind of talk about it a little bit, but we don't really talk about it because we don't really want to go into all of that stuff because that happens at home. But I there was an article once that says when home comes to work, and I just start I just took off running. I'm like, that's right because home does come to work, and if there's domestic violence at, at home, it's going to be workplace violence at work. Yes. Um, I tell You, the number of women that I mentor that have been sexually assaulted at work wow. as, as safety people. Yeah. You're a safety person, there's nothing but guys, somebody assaults you, and you're just supposed to take it or not say anything if you want to continue being a safety person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this should not happen in today's day and time, right? Yeah. It should, but it does. But the thing about it is, when do we talk about it? When do we say, okay, this is a problem. This is what we do. And this is why the whole diversity inclusion is really such a good conversation is because you can bring in bullying. You can bring in sexual assault. You can bring in workplace violence. You can bring in all of that type of stuff because all of that stuff, when you peel those onions, you know, those layers, that's a diversity issue, right? Right. We are we all weren't raised the same we all didn't live the same we all don't have the same belief systems right um you know a lot of times I'll tell people they'll say something and, and they'll be like oh my goodness are you scared I'm like no African Americans depending on how we're talking we talk loud sometimes that' doesn't mean we don't have to do nothing it just depends on where you are not all but some do but if you don't realize that, you know, and you get all you know, I, I've go. I've been in like five star hotels. I've been places where people have clutched their purse. Mm-hmm. And I was, Baby, I have more on me than you got in your bag. Okay? I've more money in a day than you make all month, okay? So I don't say that to brag, but I say that to say, I'm the person I need to be scared of you. You you could be jacking me up. You know what I'm saying? You should you it's the wrong, you know, so my, When people are afraid of somebody that looks different or whatever, I just laugh. You know what I'm saying? I just, I, I, it's, it's funny, but it really isn't funny, right? You know, even you know, when you think about the experience of the African American person, we are the only race where no matter how many degrees you have, no matter where you live, no matter what car you drive, it doesn't matter because because of the color of your skin, you're going to be treated a certain way. It doesn't matter. One of, my, yeah. one of my best guy friends drives a Bentley. And every time he drives it, he gets pulled over. Wow. Every time almost he drives it, he gets pulled over. And, he's, and he's, he says now, he says, you know what? Why?
2: <laughs>
1: Think about it. We're the only race no matter what's going on. If we, don't, if we don't have enough, well, you know what? They deadbeat. They don't have this. Well, you know, black people this. Okay, fine. Okay, so if they got too much money, when, who are you? Are you a drug dealer? Are you the girlfriend of a drug dealer? Uh, how, where'd you get this from? Like, who told you you could have this? Do you know how many degrees I have by my name? I mean, like, are you serious? Yeah. As a safety professional, I can't tell you what it feels like to get stopped by the police going, is this the day I'm going to die? I keep people safe at work, but I'm about to die in a car with a police officer because he thinks I'm trying to hurt him. And, and the thing that's so complicated over that is uh-huh. I'm married to a police officer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs>
1: yeah. So, these are very difficult, painful conversations. You know, but at the end of the day, have the conversation, come up with some action items, come up with some type of solutions of what we should try and if they don't work continuous improvement go do something else right but we can no longer live in a society where people are treated differently just because they don't look like feel like whatever as part of the group right mm-hmm. everybody's individuality matters and and it, and it actually it makes it makes the conversation richer because as a safety person think about it If you really understood different religions, if you really understood how people grow up differently or whatever, when you're given a safety talk, you know how to talk to reach everybody. It's not just about auditory, kinesthetic, and all of that visual. It's about reaching people to the core of who they are. And when people feel as though they're heard and that you're listening to them, they're going to be safe because they, they feel as though you get them. Like the avatar. Yes. I see you. And as a safety person, that has, that has been the one thing that has really given me success is because any work group, any company, any anybody that I've ever supported, they will say, Cassandra saw us. Cassandra cared about us. Cassandra's always trying to make sure we have what we need. So when I needed them to do something, they would do it. I can remember in my career that supervisors and managers would get mad with me because they said, can you just go tell them to do this? Because they listen to you. Listen. To me. I said, the reason why they don't listen to you is because you don't treat you don't treat them like people. You treat them like property. You treat them like cattle. You treat them like a number. I treat them like they're my sister or mother or whoever. I treat them like family. You treat them like somebody that, ooh, I can't touch them. You know what I'm saying? Like those people. Well, who are those people? Because the last time I checked, those people work and provide labor so that us people can have a
2: check.
0: <laughs> yep. Wow, that actually goes full circle to what we started with, is not it?
2: Uh, Ooh, right? See? Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Tell everybody how they can listen to uh, Cassandra on the reel and how can you reach you? What, where are you teaching? I know you're an instructor for calls like me. Are you doing the calls M2? Are you instructing those as well?
1: You know, I was going to do that, but I had a conflict, so I wasn't able to do that. I, I can't do the IDC uh, in January, but I'll pick it up next year. I'll, I'll pick it up next year. So, so,
2: so how for do they me... Reach you?
1: Huh? How
0: do they reach you?
1: Okay, so the easiest way to reach me is through my uh, community on my networks. It's called pivotandthrive.biz. And so that is where I'm hanging out the most these days, and... Um, I have uh, affinity groups. Uh, I started a, a woman small business incubator, um, also uh, doing some trauma uh, recovery work there. Um, also, just just I'm always into resources. And I tell people I'm so grateful right now that I get to be Cassandra, the minister and Cassandra. Person, all at one time, you know, in my world, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then also, you can reach me on LinkedIn, just Cassandra Dillon, uh, Cassandra M. Dillon. Uh, it'll come up. And then also, oh, you know what? The easiest way to follow me is Professor Cass Dillon at Instagram. Um, Everything falls into that uh, Instagram, Professor Cass Dillon. If you're on Facebook, Empowerment Coach Online. Uh, or compliance solutions. <laughs> you know, we just there's so many ways to reach me. But the best is it's prop Dylan on Instagram because that feeds into all my
2: other social media as well.
1: And my email address, castdylon at cs.com. And Dylan is D-I-L-L-O-N dot com. And then I have a show every Sunday on Fishbowl Radio. It's just f-b-r-n dot U S. And
0: I broadcast live on Sundays from three to four. Three to
1: four. Yep. Nice. Yep. The name of my show is Dylan on the Real.
0: Excellent. Well, I'd be grateful to be on the show. I remember we talked about that, and you yes. put in a word for my brother from uh, Mystery Bibles. Uh, yeah <laughs> So I'm going to tell Ken I talked to Cassandra. I put yes. your in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Until until, until Kayla, I'll 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 type something up on his contact form because I did pull up his his uh, website. Oh, you so, did. Yep. I'll look forward to meeting you
0: Oh, excellent! Thank you so much for coming on, man. This is so cool. I need to have you again because we've got to talk about so much more. I mean, so much more
1: one of the things i am very very grateful for is that we're able to to speak out for others Um, because some people they they feel some kind of way but they never say something right and so i tell people in this time in this season in this dispensation that it's about see something and saying something like the department of homeland security Mm -hmm. if you injustice you know if you see something that's not right you know do something about it right just say something and sometimes Maybe you're not going to be that catalyst, but by you saying something and tossing that over to somebody else, that gives them what they need so that they can run the race with perseverance, right?
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. This episode has been powered by Safety FM.